seated. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> because I have the microphone, I can say Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Thank you for not killing me a long time ago. Um, and also my wife. I don't see how you do it with four kids and still put up with me, but thank you for what you do. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I know that we've kind of, a couple of things while you're flipping, we've kind of hit the summer stride, if you will. Attendance will be a little here or there. Um, here's just kind of what we've decided, and just so you guys know if you show up and it looks totally different. Um, we don't want to exhaust volunteers. We don't want to kill ourselves trying to set this thing up every single week. There's another room that we can rent over on the other side. Um, so if we have a smaller crowd for a couple weeks in a row, we might vote to move over to that room during the summertime because uh, it'll be a lot easier to set up and tear down. Because uh, in, in the other part is like, this is great, but this isn't only what we do. We do, uh, like Kyle mentioned, two-thirds is outside of this room. Um, so if you show up one week and we're over kind of in that side room, uh, you'll know why. The reason being is we've decided just to move over because uh, this takes about eight to ten volunteers and about an hour and a half to set up. So um, the other thing is, which as I was back in over that little area praying for this uh, message, uh, just kind of hit me. Uh, God thinks he has a sense of humor, and I don't think it's funny right now, but uh, maybe later I will. Um, I, without getting into graphic detail, if I just walk off the stage, there's a reason why. I'm not feeling too well right now, um, and it's not that like sickness that you can control. Uh, if you know how I'm, what I'm leaning to, if it comes, it comes, and I'm walking off the stage. Um, we all good on what I mean by that. Okay, so, uh, if, and it all just kind of, as I was praying through, it makes sense for where we're going this morning, and like I said, I don't think it's funny. Um, raise your hand, though, if you've ever been denied by something or someone. Been denied. So when we were trying to move up to Dahlonega, um, we found this house. It was great. We loved it. <clears throat> and I didn't have, at that time, I was working two part-time jobs, and we'd only been there for a little while. And so I, I was a little apprehensive that we had got pre-approved to buy this house. And so I found the house, went to make an offer on the house. We loved everything about it. And um, the offer was like perfect, right in range. We knew we were going to get it. So I sent an email to our uh, loan lady. Um, still mad about this. Sent an email saying, hey, we found this house. I just need the pre-approval letter to shoot it over to me so we can send it over to make an offer. And she wrote back, and, and all it said in the subject heading was denied. Uh, what? <laughs> because we had talked to her two months before and said, hey, here's all of our income stuff. Here's what we make. Give us a window of what kind of house we can afford. Okay, great. You can afford from this price range to this price range. Awesome. Sounds good. So we looked hard for two months to find a house in that price range, which it wasn't a lot. So um, it was very slim pickings on what we could afford. And then denied came right across. Uh, and I was all kinds of emotion. I was furious. I was upset. I'm the financial provider for our home. I can't even afford this house. It was just a range of emotions. And it's, if we've all kind of raised our hands saying, yeah, we've, we've been denied for something at some point. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Uh, maybe it was a college that you tried to apply to. Uh, but we all have been denied by something. And for all of us, that denial process probably brings the same emotions. And so what we're going to see through the text this morning, though, is, is a little bit different. Um, denial for us is we think it's the end of joy. When something is taken away from us, uh, when we say, someone says, you can't do that, um, naturally our joy stops there. We start to get frustrated, angry, upset, whatever emotion it is. 
Um, but scripturally, we're going to see a different track this morning. We're going to see that the denial actually starts the process of joy if we see the process through completion. Um, so Luke 9, 18, we're going to pick up in verse 18. We did some of this last week, uh, but I just want to pick up there so we get the full picture of what's happening. So we're going to go Luke 9, 18 through 27. 18 through 27. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Yeah, sorry. That sentence confused me, but it makes sense now. Now it's happened that he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do crowds say that I am? Verse 19, and they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, or others say one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered to them, The Christ of God. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And here's the main text we're going to focus on this morning, verse 23. And he said to all, so who's talking to the disciples, now he says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you have a pen? Underline that verse for me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, as we get together this morning, God, as we open your word, let us understand what it means to deny ourselves what the process of joy really looks like through there. And Father, would we just have a, a different mentality, a different mindset as we go this morning, as we walk back into our daily routines of life, would we maybe see things more clearly based on your word? Thank you for all you're doing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now we have to start out to understand there, there's so much happening in this passage that as we just read it, it just kind of sounds like a book. Like you just want to keep going to the next chapter. But we really have to stop and understand. And, and like I said, we covered some of this last week. But to get the whole um, gamut of what's happening here. Uh, when Peter said that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah, um, instantly that arose so many emotions in his disciples. Uh, for the disciples that were Jewish, they were waiting for their time. They were waiting for their day uh, when the Messiah was going to come. And what they thought was he was going to overthrow the government, he was going to overthrow the armies, um, that the Jews would finally have their right place where they live because they had been overtaken by Rome. Um, they were being, it's called Hellenization. So all of the Greco Roman culture was starting to bleed into, and they were forced to follow these rules. Uh, they were forced to follow all these traditions that weren't theirs. And so what they were longing for is their Messiah to come and to fix everything and to bring everything back to normal. And the only way they could perceive that taking place was an overthrow of the government, that he would come in, that he would rule and overthrow. And so when they said they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, all these miracles, so they kind of probably were thinking, this has got to be our God, this has got to be the Messiah. But when it took place, though, and when they said, yes, Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah, all these emotions, were they were just getting excited. It's, it's our time. It's fired up. Let's do this. Who are we going to stab first? Like, let's take this government right now. Let's do it. 
So like, like an incredible plot twist, as soon as he says, yes, I am the Messiah, I am who you think I am, then he turns right around and says, but listen, that's not it. I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be denied, not by Rome. Here's a huge distinction. Not by the Roman culture that you loathe so much, by the G- chief priests and scribes, by our own crew. By the Jewish leaders of these days, I'm going to be um, rejected and I'm going to be murdered. He says, and I'm going to be raised from the dead, but if you can just imagine, they probably were tuned out by that point. Because how quickly did it go, we're going to rule this world to our ruler is going to die. Who are you? So this emotional roller coaster happened really quick. That for one second, yes, you're here, you're about to take overthrow all the government, we're going to help you in this, to quickly turn into, wait, like you're going to die? What, what kind of ruler is that? What kind of king is this that you've came to die? Now, it's, if we could put ourselves in the story, a lot of things will start changing for us because we read this and we know the rest of the story. And we go, oh, you're fools. You should have just had faith. Have you guys ever heard the phrase bandwagoners? Right? Especially in sports. You ever heard the phrase bandwagon fan? Uh, so basically what that means, and we saw it a ton last year with the Falcons. Um, Falcons were playing good. They get into the Super Bowl, and then out of nowhere, everyone's a Falcons fan, right? Why? Because we want to be part of the winning team. We want to be part of the crew that changes history. We want to be part of that revelation, that revolution, excuse me, revolution that takes place. So at some part of us, we could all empathize with what the disciples must have been thinking when instantly they thought they were on the winning team, and then quickly they go, no, like our team just lost. Like you're, you're admitting that you're going to die. How quickly did that change? But Jesus didn't stop there. And this is where we have to start camping out. Uh, verse 23, I told you guys to underline it. So he didn't just stop with, hey, the fact is you're going to die. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we're just going to kind of break that text down and figure out how, what it really looks like for us. Um, because the first part he says is anyone would come after me if you call yourself a Christian. If you call yourself a believer, this is you. If you were to come after me, if you were to follow me, if you are a believer, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is talking to all of us. This isn't just the pastors. This isn't just the leaders or the elders. If you would come after me, no matter who you are, if you call yourself, consider yourself a Christian, this is for you. If you would come after me, let him deny himself. Now here's where we start getting to this word deny, where hopefully the script is going to change for us, uh, because this word deny means to refuse someone or something, especially from some kind of pleasure. We're good. I'm a little fearful of burps right now. Sorry. To deny means to um, refuse someone or something, especially in some form of pleasure. So when we got denied of that house, the pleasure was that we were going to actually own a home in Delonica. We were trying to get here as quick as we could to start a church here. And so we were denied that pleasure of owning a home to get us here to do what we really wanted to do was taken away. And so last week we spent a ton of time. Kyle, do we have that graphic? Because I forgot to remind you about it. 
Okay. Uh, we spent a ton of time, but watch Kyle work his magic in like two seconds. It's going to be on the screen because that's what he does. And we spent a ton of time talking about four idols and what the idols are really reveal who we think God isn't. And so the first one that we talked about was uh, control. Anyone else love to be in control? right? Um, so the main idol there that we are focusing on is control because we don't actually think God is great. If we really believed everything in our being that God is great, then we wouldn't have to be in control. If we really believed that everything, everything we have that God is truly great, then we could say, hey, uh, this seems like it's not in control right now, but I trust you because you're great. Here, let me throw this question out. Whatever you are fearful of or you worry about, what are you fearful of or worry about? Whatever that answer is, that is your idol. So think about it for a second. Whatever you are fearful of or whatever you worry about, that right there is your idol. Whatever you're fearful of or worry about. The second one was the idol of approval, that we want to be approved of, we want to be loved, we want to, uh, our friends to like us. And so because of that, we can kind of be a coward um, and maybe not speak up when we think we should because we're so worried about what people say about us. And the truth there is that we don't actually believe God is glorious. So we, ha- we are having a false misconception of who God is, that he's not actually glorious, so I need to worry about who uh, I approved of or who approves of me because we don't actually think that God approves of us. So we have to earn that. Uh, the last one is comfort, or the third one is comfort. Um, and that here is that God is not good, that we don't actually believe God is good. So we have to com- make ourselves comfortable, uh, to relax, to do all this kind of stuff, because we don't think God will take care of us. There it is, see? How good is he? Um, so that, yeah, it was comfort. The last one is performance, that our idol is performance, that we don't actually believe that God is gracious, to us. So all of these will bring pleasure to us. If we're in control, we have pleasure. If we think that people approve of us or like us, that brings pleasure to us. But if we think that we're living a life of comfort, if we're okay that no one's bothering us, everything, there again, life of comfort, we feel good. The last one is if we feel like we're powerful. And here's where uh, I said I don't really think it's funny. Um, this entire morning, because of how I'm feeling, I have not felt in control. Um, when we got here, Matt's car had overheated, so I had to go pick him up, which I told him this would make a great sermon illustration, so here it is. Um, that just instantly took me out of my routine. I'm here at 730, let's set up, let's do this. I get a text from Matt, hey man, my car's overheating, I'm broken down. He calls me, hey, can, can you come pick me up? I'm not in control. That, that, this morning is not fleshing itself out like I thought it should. Um, I woke up this morning, and anyone, I, I don't know what you guys call it. We call it yucky burps. You know what I'm talking about? That burp that's like, oh, no, there's something coming after that burp. Uh, again, not in control. Not, this morning is not where I think it should be, and that is an idol of mine. God is not going to let me preach this message without revealing my own idols, and it's happening right now. I don't feel like I'm in control, and I don't like it because the truth is I don't think God is great. I think I have to be in control of the sermon. I think I have to be in control of this gathering because I don't believe God is good enough to handle it himself. Now, you can gasp at that if you want to, uh, but that's all of us. That's all, we're all wrestling with this. So when, he, when he, Jesus talks about denying ourselves, what it looks like for me this morning is saying, okay, I'm not in control. Like, I literally cannot control my own body right now. Um, no lie, too much detail, but it's true. 
cannot control my own body. God, you've got to be good through this process. So we talk about denying ourselves. That sounds like a good cookie cutter. Let's put that on a coffee cup. And No, but it is a painful process for us to walk through because these idols are pleasurable. That's what we love. That's what we gravitate to. But we've got to deny ourselves of those. They might seem like a really good thing, but they're not. So deny yourself. The second part of this verse is to take up his cross daily. Now, again, this is one of those texts where we read it and like, okay, that makes sense. Take up your cross. Sure, Jesus died on a cross. Got a cross on my necklace. That's good. Let's keep going. No, let's not keep going. Let's stop for a second. Uh, what that looks like for us is if we were walking around with electric chairs on our neck. Right? For us to wear the and I'm not knocking on if you're wearing a cross, that's good. It's a great reminder. But if the disciples were to come into this environment right now, just go on a time machine, show up here, and they saw the cross everywhere, they'd be a little confused. Because when they saw the cross, what typically came was there was a couple Roman soldiers that would come into the town with the cross, pick up a guy, and they would walk out with their friend carrying the cross, knowing that's the last time I ever saw my friend. He's not coming home. That guy that just disappeared with those Roman soldiers carrying this cross, that's it. That is, there's no more of that dude. He's walking to his own death. So the cross, for Jesus to say, pick up your cross, again, if we're kind of understanding where the disciples are thinking, they literally just thought they were going to overthrow Rome. They literally just thought that here's our time, we're going to take this thing over, we've got the king now, we're going to rule this place. And Jesus says, no, uh, deny yourself and pick up your cross, pick up your death object. And let's go. Pick up your cross, your death deny and die. Sounds like a great sermon, right? Everyone chipper so far? Deny and die? Yeah, let's keep going. And follow him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow him. Do you know where he's going? No. Do you know the next step in front of you? No. All you know is, it's not about you anymore, and you're not coming home. For you to follow Christ, he, all I know is, anyone else worry? Anyone else a worry worm? Okay, I'm a huge worry worm. Here's what I have to tell myself. Did I just create worry worm? Is that a real thing? Okay. Here's what I have to remind myself constantly. All I know is this. Because when I start losing my mind and overthinking and worrying and all this, the way to ground myself is in this situation of unknown, here's all that I do know. Here's all that I know, that my wife loves me and I have four beautiful kids. Nothing else matters. Here's what I know. All I know is blank. So for us to understand this, all that we know is we're supposed to deny the things that seem right in our hearts we're supposed to pick up our cross and follow him knowing it's going to lead to our death. That's, that's all we know. That is the message of the gospel. That is the good news. So we're going to spend the rest of the time trying to figure out how is that good news? Because it might seem like it's not. Here's where, I mean, if I can just, just be brash for a second. Here's where guys like Joel Osteen bug me to the core. Because we're saying 
I'm going to take that back. I'm not saying nothing. The scripture is saying to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your instrument of death, and let's go. I'm not promising you anything. I'm not promising you tomorrow, but we'll see here, this is actually for your joy. Uh, but where these prosperity gospels, some as blatant as Joel Osteen, but some other that just kind of weed in here and there, will tell you, no, 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 it's, it's really about you. God wants the best for you. God wants your pleasures. God wants you to be comfortable. Uh, God is for your joy. And so whatever your joy looks like today, pursue it, man. He wants you to be happy. It's okay to have idols, is what they're saying. God is for your joy, and we're going to see that, but it's not by our stuff. It's by him. It's not by our stuff. It's because of him. So the deepest joy, here's what I'm going to try to argue with you for the next 20 minutes, or 15, or 5, depending on what happens. The deepest joy in God starts with denying yourself, okay? The deepest joy in God starts with the process of learning how to deny yourself. The deepest joy, because this should sound counterintuitive, so I'm going to say it one more time. The deepest joy within God starts with denying yourself. Because we're constantly after pleasures. We're constantly pursuing things. I mean, if we could just be honest here, we would all say that we are. If you didn't get any new car, any new house, uh, any new uh, degree, any new kids, any new fill-in-the-blank, if nothing else changed Everything you have right now is where you are. Now, are you content and are you satisfied? No. I'll go and answer that for you. You're not satisfied. And there's some of us even here, uh, that's why you're here at this church, uh, at at the gym, in the gathering of the church, because um, you're looking for something. You're looking for joy that we've all been looking for however we do it. Everyone is looking for joy. I can't remember who said it, uh, but there's a guy, a famous dude, he's dead now, but um, said that everyone that knocks on the door of the brothel is secretly looking for God. So every joy we pursue, everything that we seek after, whether it be something good or something bad, we're all searching for the joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We're all searching for that. John Piper calls this the suicidal pleasures. I just love that phrase. Suicidal pleasures, that we're seeking after these pleasures that seem good and right, and on the surface is everything is fine, uh, but what's actually going to happen is they're going to kill us. Because we're not satisfied. We might be for a little while, but we're not satisfied, so we keep going, and we keep going, and these pleasures will eventually kill us. They'll drown us in debt. We'll isolate ourselves. Uh, it will kill us. So these pleasures that we seek, or as Piper calls them, suicidal pleasures. So what is it? I mean, just as we're being honest, what is it? If I had more of blank, if I had more of this, I would be fully satisfied. If I had more money, I'd be fully satisfied. If I had more of a career, I'd be fully satisfied. If I had my degree, I would be fully satisfied. If I had this, if I had that, then I'd be fully satisfied. That helps us to reveal what our idol is. So self-denial comes to the opposite of that point. Self-denial is the true 
opposite because here's what's going to happen. If, if we keep pursuing joy, if we keep pursuing our pleasures and they are unfulfilling constantly, what would happen then if we said, okay, no more. I've tried this. I've pursued this. I've thought that this would bring me joy. I thought this would bring me satisfaction and it didn't. So where is the identity? Where is the root of joy? Where is the core of this pleasure that you keep talking about? Jesus answers it in this. Deny yourself, pick up your death, and follow me. Your truest joy is going to be found in no one except for God alone. And here's what happens. This does this all the time with my kids. I'll tell them something. Hey, here's a truth. Don't do that. That might hurt you. And then I sit back and watch and see what happens. And when they come crying to me in 5, 10, 15, 20, an hour, three hours later, I'm, I just sit back and go, all right, did you learn? I told you don't pull that TV on your head. Just kidding, we don't, we don't do that. That's like the thing they used to say in the 70s, right? So we, God just kind of lets us, hey, deny yourself. That's not going to end up in joy. But if you think so, go for it. I'm, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you pursue that. I'm going to wait till that runs out. And when you see that doesn't fully satisfy, then, then maybe you'll come back to the gospel. Maybe you'll start denying yourself in the process. So when we start saying, okay, it, it doesn't matter. My preference, my choice, my idol, what I want most is God to be glorified. What I want most is the most joy I can have, and that is only found in Christ. And we're able to strip off all of these idols and say, no, it's just, it's just me and you. I don't, my denial, my preference is that I'd be in control, but I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to deny myself that pleasure for you because that's what it looks like to me, to, for me to follow you. But my desire is my, I love to perform. I want people to think well of me, but I'm going to deny myself of that pleasure for your glory. Um, it was just spirit-filled. It was, it was just an incredible wedding. I mean, so part of their wedding, John 15, 13, you don't have to flip there, um, but it's a scripture that I use almost every single wedding. So Jay and Hannah, you'll, you'll hear this again in your wedding in a couple months. Um, so John 15, 13 says, uh, greater love has no one than this, that someone day lay down his life for his friends. Greater love looks like denying yourself for your friends. So the successful key to a marriage is, hey, um, you're going to have preferences, right? You're going to have what you want. You're going to think that you've got it together and that your spouse should um, come exactly to how you want, and they're going to be thinking the same thing. And this is called the crazy cycle of marriage. It just doesn't work. What it's going to take is somebody denying themselves, laying down their preference, laying down their idols, and saying, no, I'm, I'm going to serve you. Now, we understand that kind of from a, a, a ethereal standpoint. What we don't have the framework for is how that denial is actually for our joy. Because if I'm honest with myself, if I'm honest with you guys, there's some times where I deny for the sake of my family. It doesn't bring me any joy. It just makes me frustrated. I would much have rather done this. But because of your, my family, I'm going to give that up for the sake of my family. And sometimes, yeah, it feels good and it's great. Sometimes I'm just frustrated because I could have a brand new truck right now, but we have four kids instead. Just saying. You know how much diapers cost? Good gracious. Speaking of one, anyone got one for me? No? Okay. So 
Here's where I'm going with this. We understand that denial, that denying ourselves can lead to other people's joy. But do we have the framework that denying ourselves could lead to our most joy too? It makes sense. I'm going to sacrifice myself and my well-being so that you can have what you want. But Scripture is going to argue with us that if we sacrifice, if we deny ourselves, if we pick up our death object, that's actually what's going to bring us the most joy because it's no longer about ourselves. It's no longer about ourselves. So um, Luke 9 is kind of where we are. Skip down to verse 24. Because I kind of want to flesh this out and argue with you a little bit. Uh, But Jesus does it for us. I'm going to let him do that. Luke 9, 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever would save his life will lose it. We'll lose it. So if we think we have to be in control, that we're responsible for our own joy, that it's all about us, it's all for us to save, Jesus saying, hey, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you try to overprotect, if you try to overhuddle, you're going to lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is a profit, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or loses or forfeits himself. I saw a, a thing, I don't know where I saw it the other day. It said, you work hard and die. You work hard and die. Not trying to sound, you know, morbid. It's pretty true. So here's, here's maybe a, a question. Would we rather work really hard building our kingdom here for 70 or 80 years and then spend eternity with nothing would we rather pursue the joy of the Father and make sacrifices here and have our rewards for eternity? I think one problem we have, and it's becoming more and more of a problem, especially for these younger generations, uh, we want what our parents have now. So my mom just retired. My dad's been at the same company for 30 years. They've been well with their money, they save, they're generous. So what my wife and I, our tendency is we see what they have and go, I, I want that now. I, I don't, I don't, we don't have a framework for waiting for what's to come. We want that now. But what we don't see was all, and what I don't remember was all the decisions when I was little, because I'm the baby, when I was little, growing up and the sacrifices they made to make a better life for themselves now. So when we start thinking through this, are we willing to make a sacrifice to give up our pleasures, to give up our idols for the joy that's to come? I mean, there's a, there's a famous theologian, his name's slipping me right now, uh, but he said something to the effect of more money, more problems. I think that's in the Bible right? So we think more of things are going to fix us, that more of things are going to solve all of our problems. If we just had this, but what we don't think of is I'm going to sow all that into the kingdom, because that's where true joy is found. That's where true joy is found. Uh, Flip over with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Or just move your thumb a couple times and you'll be there if you're on a phone. Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, picking up verse 24. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I understand that some of you might not have a framework uh, for Moses in the Old Testament, uh, so I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Uh, Moses' mom, because he thought that that all that was happening in the craziness of the world, uh, Moses' mom put Moses in a reef basket, put him in a river. Uh, Pharaoh, who was the leader of all that region at the time, his daughter found him, floated up into the reeds, picked him up, and kept him as her own. Okay, so that's where we are. Will you stop checking off wonder lists? <laughs> Showing up on my iPad. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So here's what Moses is saying. Hey, I have the right to Pharaoh's throne. I have the right to live in this kingdom because Pharaoh's daughter has adopted me in. I could be part of this. Under Pharaoh's household, I would have no want. I would have no need. Anything I have, anything I want, with a word, with a snap of a finger, it's mine. Doesn't that life sound pretty good? Holy cow. I mean, think about the Amazon's got these little now buttons where as soon as you run out of diapers or whatever you guys run out of, you can just hit the button and just shows up at your house two days later. Imagine that times a thousand just with a word. Hey, I want a chocolate milkshake. Sounds good. I don't know if they had chocolate milkshakes at the time, but just in my imagination, they do. It's there. So Pharaoh rules everything. Moses, by assimilation, because of who adopted him in, had rights to all that, but he chose, that he chose to give that up to live with his people because he was focused on the reward that was to come. Focus on the, focus on what was coming. Do you not think that there was days for Moses where you go, man, I made a bad choice. These people are miserable. They've got nothing. I've had Slaves give me whatever I want for the past 30 years. Don't think that there's not going to be some days for us when we're choosing to lay down our idols for the sake of the kingdom, that it's not going to get hard. But we focus on the reward. We focus on what's coming. Um, When I was 16, I had a little defensive driving class because I kind of got in a little bit of an accident. No big deal. Um, One of the things that they taught us, though, uh, was called just how you, and I don't know what it's called, uh, but when you're driving, to focus on the farthest point that you can. So for a lot of us, what we do is we focus on the car right in front of us, the situation right in front of us. Uh, But what they argued, and it makes sense, if you focus on as far out as you can, your peripheral vision will take care of everything else. So if you're focused as far out as you can, um, you're going to see deer 100, years, 100 yards out that you're going to be able to move, but you're also going to see a little rabbit that runs out in front of you because your peripheral will pick it up. So for us, if we're going to start focusing on where does joy really come from, not our pleasures, but from God alone, we've got to get our eyesight up and focus on the reward that's coming. Don't focus on what's right in front of you because you'll always miss what's two steps ahead. You'll miss on the reward that's coming from the kingdom. We have to get our eyes up to eternity. We have to get our eyes up to heaven. Let's quit focusing on the things right in front of us that seem so trivial. Mark, um, not Zuckerberg, uh, anyways, the guy from Zappos, that created Zappos, sells all those shoes. Um, he talks about in one of his interviews that to live in America, worst case scenario, is not that bad. 
Worst case scenario in America is not bad at all. We talk, I mean, the government has all these subsidies, has all these programs for us. Most of us have friends or some kind of families that could take us in. But when we think day to day of our struggles and problems, all revolve around what's right in front of us. We struggle, but we don't realize that, man, worst case scenario is not that bad. I'm going to give up my idols. I'm going to give my eye to the prize. I'm going to run the race that God has set for me. That's where joy is found. So, so what then do we do? And that's probably the most important question. What then do we do? We relent our idols. Drop your idols right where they are. Probably the most important word in Luke 9 um, was daily. Daily. This is not going to end in the next year, two years, three years. You're not going to get to a point where you've got it figured out, that you never pursue your own idols anymore, that you're totally focused on the kingdom and everything. is. That day is never coming, church. Just get over it. Until glory, we're always going to struggle with this. Daily, we deny ourselves. Momentarily, we deny ourselves. Every second, we have to focus in on denying ourselves. And here's, here's the deal. I said this a couple weeks ago. If you don't believe me, try it. Scripture is sufficient of its own. Try it. Try denying yourself and see what takes place. Abandon your way and just give in that God's way is the way. That that's where true joy is found. So what is it that you need to give up? What idol is it? Because we talked about the big ones um, that were on the screen. Control, approval, comfort, or performance. Those are really big. Those are, but what does that really look like in a day-to-day life? I mean, for me, it happened this morning where things seem to be out of control. I'm going to say, God, you're in control, not me. You're great. I'm not. You can handle this. You can accomplish this on your own. Or, or maybe if you're control, here's, here's another one. Stop talking. I'm talking to myself because I'm talking, but I can't stop talking right now. Or can I? Stop. Just sit back and enjoy a conversation and listen to what people say and their opinions that they share. But maybe you're the other side. Maybe you're so focused on approval. For you, start talking. God is crazy about you. It doesn't matter what these fools around you think. Share your ideas. Share what you're thinking about. Maybe comfort is your idol. Do something. Do something that stretches you. Try something, even though you might fail. And if performance is your idol, quit doing something. Quit thinking that you've got to perform and you've got to act. This week, just try something. Here's what I would normally do to feel good about myself, so I'm not going to. Because God already is crazy about me, and I don't have to perform for him to love me. He loves me so much right here. But for all of us, and this is as we start to segue into communion, for all of us, we've got to identify what is our idol and how we can deny ourselves today. And here's just a prayer for you guys to pray. Spirit, show me where I can deny myself and get ready. Spirit, open my eyes to where I can deny myself, where are my idols, how I can pick up my cross and follow you. And just listen and obey. It's going to be hard, 
But if you pray that prayer, God is faithful to start bringing those up to you. Can I just tell you as we close, one of my favorite ideas about Jesus and about God and Christianity is that Jesus, uh, Hebrews talks about, Jesus is an empathetic high priest. He's an empathetic high king, meaning that he's not going to ask us to do something he hasn't already done. And he's not going to expect something out of us that he hasn't already walked through. He's not going to say, you need to do this, do as I say, not as I do. I'm God, you go figure it out. No, Christ came to earth, walked, and got to the garden. Praying, God, if there's any other way to take this cup from me. If not, I will deny myself, literally pick up my cross and follow you. He gets to the courtroom where they're saying, hey, is this charge true against you? Now, here is God in the flesh. He could have killed everyone without even saying anything. Just like genie in a bottle, just blinked and everyone's dead. Boom. Don't even have to blink. Chose to deny himself. Why? For us. Because he knew, even though his life would be lost, the glory of what's to come is way better. That for his joy, the best thing for him was to pursue his Father's will. So when we go to take communion in a second, what we're remembering is Christ has denied himself first for us. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done, hasn't already accomplished. And if Jesus did it for his joy, what makes us think that's not for our joy either? If God asked Jesus to do this for his joy, and we can see now that millions upon millions of believers are now sanctified and saved and made righteous because of that act, who's to say it's not for us? So as we pray, as we take communion, just wrestle with that question. Now, what, what am I, you've denied your life for mine. Would you give me an opportunity this week to deny for my joy? That joy does not come in my idols, that joy comes in my denials. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that, that you care enough about us to show us the right way to live. God, even if it doesn't make sense, Jesus, that you, what it looks like to deny ourselves. And Jesus, we, we just pray that, that you would show us this week what it really looks like. God, because we know that there's some of us in this room that we're seeking for joy as fast as we can find it. That we're willing to try anything right now for any kind of satisfaction. And we think that it f- comes from one of our four idols, that we're doing everything to have control of our situation. We're doing everything to be approved of. We're doing everything to remain comfortable. We're doing everything for approval. So God, would you give us a boldness this week just to try it your way? Jesus, that, that, that maybe you're right. God, that to deny ourselves and to follow you and to pick up our cross, to start walking, is the greatest thing for our joy. So God, would you give us the strength to do that this week? 
Father, would you help us to see where our idols are? Would you just give us the nudge of your love to identify and to be obedient, to start walking away from those idols? To die to ourself so that your glory might live. But God, thank you for not doing something that, or asking us to do something you haven't done for us. As we take communion this morning, God, whenever we're ready for the believers in this room, when we are able to walk over and rip off the bread and dip it into the juice that represents your body and your blood, we're remembering firsthand that you first denied yourself for us. That the greatest joy for you was to pick up your cross, walk to Golgotha, and to die. For three days, the world waited. But your resurrection took place, and you defeated death, and you created a way for us where there was no way, and you've made us new creations that are the old has gone, the new has come. How joyful is that? Even though there was days of darkness, God, the joy has come. So let us celebrate through communion and let us prepare our hearts as we go out this week to constantly, daily, every minute of every day, deny ourselves for your name, for your glory, because that's where true joy is found. That's your name that we pray. Amen. So we'll just wrestle with that. You guys can chew on that. If you're ready for communion, it's open. Um, but if you send a few moments to pray and uh, get your mind ready for this week of denial, feel free to do that as well.